Good morning, Anchor. It is Lori, a.k.a. Loretta Chow, the sex reporter and co-host of the Insatiable Podcast with Smiley. So if you've ever wondered what the sex reporter actually is, um, I discussed a little bit on Momac Station yesterday, so I'm going to echo that first. Hey, Momac, I really like your point about not like trying to be popular because you, you know, basically going for good content instead of popular content. I completely agree as a journalist and it fucking makes me sad when I look at the state of the media business today. Um, and that's also why, like you notice I cover sex. I mean, on my station is different. It's not journalism or anything like that. But when I talk about shit, I don't talk about it in the most sensational way. I talk about it in like a balanced way that considers all sides because I just think that's important. And I think that's much more important than saying like the most outlandish shit possible about sex, which I think already happens in media. So when I talk about like the lack of discussion of sex in media, I'm not talking about we don't see sex anywhere. We see sex sex everywhere, but it's irresponsible sex coverage. It's like, let's talk about people like uh, cheating on, you know, like the, the latest celebrity gossip and shit like that. It's not about like, let's get real with it and what's actually going on in people's lives. But that shit is not as popular and that's just the truth. I just wanted to post that because I do get a lot from people who first find out that I cover sex or that I do videos or podcasts about it. They immediately jump to like the most salacious thing they can think of or the most sensationalist thing they can think of. And they think, oh, wow, that's a great niche like sex sells. So, you know, I bet you talk about like the adult industry and prostitution and all this other stuff all the time, which I do sometimes. But sex is a part of everyone's life, not just of people who work in the sex industry. And it's not just a a subject for gossip and and everything else and it's not that frivolous if you think about the fact that it is like one of the foundations of human society and the reason why most of us are here in this world today so what i like to do is really just to showcase the fact that opinions and perspectives on sex are very diverse that everyone um the assumptions that we make that there is such a thing as a normal way of thinking when it comes to sex is basically wrong and that there are a lot of things that we don't always consider when we're talking about that. As for Insatiable and as for Anchor, uh, Smile and I are really just trying to entertain. And I like the fact that, I mean, there are certain foundational things that Smile and I agree on, as in we don't like to judge people. Um, but aside from that, we sometimes have very different points of view. And that's what we like to bat around and offer on the podcast. And we, of course, love hearing from you guys and that's why i always make it a point to um you know talk about some of what's raised on anchor and to showcase you guys in our conversation so um just wanted to post that because it came up and i thought it might be of interest in case anyone was ever wondering who the hell i am um and i will also just post some links along with this segment in case every anyone is interested in more information so today's question is actually not from me. It's going to be from E for Energy from AfterTech. He sent this as a call in yesterday, and I figured I'd save it for today so we could address it fully um, as people want to. All right, Lori. Another question I wanted to ask. This is E for Energy. I wanted to know, okay, the idea of people being sexually compatible. So we get into this point and... We interact with these people, then we date them, and then we have sex to see if we are sexually compatible. But my idea or my perspective on this begs the question, if sex seems to be more mental than just strictly physical, then wouldn't it be more beneficial to communicate and talk to the person, understand what their likes and dislikes, and then see how the sex is afterwards? Wouldn't that produce a better 
result as opposed to just going off of a few dates and not delving deep into a person's background and who they are and what they like as a person. Just a question, like, can you get better at sex? Peace. Thanks for this question, because I've actually been wanting to talk about the subject of delaying sex since it's kind of related to what we talked about earlier. And I think that many people feel like delaying sex might be a good tactic to, I don't know, make a person more inclined to get to know them as a person rather than just trying to get in their pants. And that makes sense to a certain extent. But it's become such a part of the discourse that I feel like it's just yet another like hoop that people have to jump through. And it's kind of artificial because in the end, now, you know, people will just say, all right, well, if you want to wait three, four or five dates, then I'll wait three, four or five days. It's just part of the process. It's not like it really changes the mentality um, necessarily. But I like the way you're posing the question um, as in, could sex be better? if we actually get to know the person intellectually first, I would say sex might be better if there's a little more anticipation. There is some benefit to delaying, as in if you're really into a person, waiting a little bit longer to have the sex can make the sex just like that much more, like the suspense just builds that much more and it could be great. But I don't actually think that it takes very much time to truly get to know a person. I mean, maybe it's just the way that I am. I like direct conversation. I like to ask a lot of questions. And so I could meet a person for the first time and within a few hours get to know a lot of really personal things about them and understand things that make them tick and everything um, faster than most, you know, conversations that involve like small talk and just interview style questions about like, what do you do for work? And how was your day and shit like that? I tend to skip all those things because I understand how meaningless they are, or I guess I'm not interested in like superficial answers to my questions. I usually want to know why and how, and what is the original reason why you think this way and that way. And so those types of questions tend to lead to deep conversation. And so it doesn't take you know, five dates for me to figure someone out enough to know that I'm sexually attracted to them. I do think it's kind of funny that you characterized uh, the sex part of the dating process as trying to see if you're sexually compatible. Because if I'm fully honest, I'm not having sex to see if I'm sexually compatible with the person. When I eventually decide to have sex, it's because I just want to have sex because I'm extremely attracted to the person. And the thought in my mind is not that I'm testing them to see if they're compatible with me, but more that I just want them, if that makes sense. And truth be told, even though a person's personality can make them more sexually attractive, like if I really love a person's mind or I'm like really, really feeling someone and the way they speak and the way they carry themselves, I'm just automatically more sexually interested in them. But I've had great sex with people who I can't have a conversation with. So I don't actually think getting better at sex necessarily is contingent on how well you know a person and their likes and dislikes, unless you're specifically talking about their likes and dislikes in bed. But, you know, sex, good sex can come about just from having sex with the with the same person. And in my opinion, it takes like three times really to get to know a person's body well enough to feel a little bit comfortable with each other naked so that you can really get good quote unquote good at sex with each other or you know get to at least a point where you can be as good 
with that person as you can possibly be. But that's my opinion. So I am curious to hear what other people are going to have to say about this subject. My biggest issue usually when talking about delaying sex and getting to know people instead of just jumping right into bed with each other is that I actually get find that um, the most intimate conversations with a person happen after sex. Because once you have sex, you sort of you've opened your most vulnerable um, moments up to this other human being. And I don't know if it's the vulnerability or if it's because of the hormones, which actually scientists have have looked at this before um, in terms of like what it is that causes us to like open up and say things we wouldn't normally say right after we've had sex. But I think that that carries through. Um, at least in my experience, when I meet a person, we get to know each other a little bit, I get their vibe, I like them enough. And then if we do have sex, suddenly it just opens up a whole other world because now we've been intimate with each other. We've seen each other naked. We've been in each other's bedrooms, in each other's private space. And that that opens doors to conversations about a lot of other things that we might not normally talk about because we were still trying to keep it polite when we didn't really know each other like that. Now we do know each other. We've swapped uh, bodily fluids and all that. And so that means something, or at least um, it leads to a certain kind of intimacy that leads to the kinds of conversations that I think are the most important when it comes to getting to know a person. So yesterday we talked about open relationships and there are some other call-ins from people who wanted to share their opinion about the subject too. Open relationships. Now, this is a very interesting topic because we're brought up in a society which promotes monogamy, right? And any feelings of going into an open relationship may make you feel uncomfortable or give you feelings of anxiety. Now, imagine for a minute that you grew up in a society which promoted open relationships and monogamy made you feel uncomfortable or anxious. I find it so interesting how society shapes you to act and think a certain way. Because if you can imagine the complexities of an open relationship, I mean, you know, having one partner has its issues, but can you imagine multiple partners? Oh, my Lord. Anyway, maybe monogamy has some common sense after all. Or maybe it doesn't. I think it all depends. But if uh, if we didn't have religion... And, and, and marriage and whatnot, I think most humans would be in an open relationship. That's just my opinion. Very interesting thought, Safa. And I would just say that I think some of the issues that we have with monogamy in terms of managing one relationship with one person actually come about because of the conventions that we've established for monogamy. Because we focus so much on marriage to one person for life as a society, I'm not saying everybody does this, but because so many people do that, we also have sort of um, created the side effect of marriages that are completely codependent. So we feel like once we enter a, a, a marital union with someone, that everything we do is now um, dependent on that person and contingent on that person. Every decision we make has to be dis discussed with that person, no matter how big or how small. Everything that we do, we need to take permission from that person. And everything that we own becomes property of that person as well. I think that there are benefits to that. And I think there's something beautiful in formally forming a family unit and a true life partnership in which you do share in decision making and um, where you feel like we're, we're basically someone who was not born from the same parents as you um, somehow becomes the closest person to you in life. I actually think there's something really beautiful about that, but I also think that it can be taken to really unhealthy levels and that's where you get 
problems in terms of managing a person and, and having to maintain that relationship to the point where you lose yourself a little bit. Now, if we hypothetically, like in the scenario that you put forth, like lived in a society where most relationships were actually open and monogamy was the exception, would that still be the same? I actually think that those monogamous relationships might look very different and those open relationships would also look very different and people would probably have to be more independent by force. You'd have to love yourself a little bit more because you know, you would have to come before all of the various partners that you have, you've had. I don't know. It, it is a very interesting scenario to think about. I mean, if the norm was that everyone was in an open relationship, that would mean that you would have to really, really want to be monogamous if you were going to be monogamous. And so that would become an entirely voluntary relationship and not one that was, you know, put on you because of societal pressure. And maybe that would even work out better. Anyway, um, open relationships do come in a lot of forms. They don't necessarily have to be multiple relationships with multiple people who you have to manage. Um, a lot of open relationships are, you know, couples that are actually dating other people together, like swingers, or they might be just, you know, couples who decide it's okay to go on a date once in a while with someone else or even to have sex with someone else. But that doesn't mean like, you know, to carry on an entire affair or relationship in parallel with your with your primary relationship. So I think there are sort of lots of ways that that can come about. And yeah, I mean, it's really just up to each person's personal preference and whether they can actually work it out with their partner. Hey, what's up, y'all? I have to comment on the um, open relationship topic. And simply put, he would be my boyfriend and I would be single. <laughs> and as you said, I'm not talking about like, I want to sleep around. I just want to be free to hang out with whoever I want to. However, he will have uh, stipulations <laughs> and that wouldn't be fair. So that's why I couldn't do an open relationship. Thank you for that honest answer, because that's probably the reason why most of us wouldn't be able to pull off open relationships. So it's like a lot of us also judge other open relationships with that in mind, thinking, oh, well, one of them just wants to fool around. You know what I'm saying? And like, so, so to be fair, they're just letting the other person do it, too. But nobody really wants this. And I think for people who think like that open relationships are definitely not for them and I'm kind of one of those people so an open relationship is not for me but people who do enter open relationships I think are actually committed to the idea that maybe they can actually sustain their own relationship longer if they just take the the stance that both people really should be free to do what they want and that they come back to the relationship their primary relationship at the end of every day because that's where they truly want to be it's a compelling concept. Um, I'm still, you know, I still think about it all the time. I just, like I said, don't know if I could ever do it either. So thank you for your calling. I don't know. But, I mean, if you a dude and your girl asks you something like that, I mean, obviously you ain't got the total package. You know what I'm saying? Because, I don't know. If your girl lets you do threesomes and all that and... It got to be something corny about you. Or if she, I mean, down with being a swinger, I mean, on you, then, you mean, you must not be the truth. Because if you a boy like that, and your girl depends on her level of jealousy, she should have a high level of jealousy for you amongst any woman, except for your mom, like, you know what I'm saying? But women just comfortable, you know what I mean, with that around you, then 
I don't think she really into you. I don't know. But I don't know. I could never probably ask that to none of my Jones. Even if the bitch was a hoe, she still got a level of probably respect for me. Like, she ain't even going to, no Joan ain't even going I think it's fair to feel that way. Um, I think that a little jealousy is fun and healthy, but not everyone needs it. Um, you are saying that your relationships need jealousy. You need your woman to um, to want you like that and to want to possess you like that in order to feel validated in what what you're doing for her. But not everyone feels that way. Also, open relationships aren't necessarily just about swingers and having threesomes and stuff like that, although that can be part of it if that's what you want. I don't really agree that the only reason why people ever want to step out or have sexual experiences outside of their relationship is because the other person doesn't perform well enough. I mean, Halle Berry, arguably one of the most beautiful women on the face of the earth, was cheated on multiple times. There have been women like, I think Eva Longoria used to brag about how she and Tony Parker had such a great marriage because she was putting it down at home and, you know, she was, she knew how to treat her man and all that. And, you know, there's plenty of women out there who do everything right by their men and plenty of men out there who do everything right by their women and who have great relationships, great sex, great connections, and yet their partners still step out on them. So the question there is then, well, why? Is it really because you're, um, the person isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing or because they're lame or whatever? Or is it just because some people cannot just be with one person forever? I think it's more likely the latter just because, I mean, I have met people who would very, who would love to be monogamous because everyone's taught them since they were little that they were supposed to be monogamous, but they clearly just, the idea of being with one person for the rest of their life seems like a prison sentence. And, um, it, and you know, some of those people maybe should or would benefit from being in a, in an arrangement where they can be with someone who allows them to step out sometimes. Listen. The open relationships and all that, you dealing with multiple women, you got to have bread. That's not for the common guy. Like, if I'm messing with you, I'm chilling, I'm winding down, and I'm taking you out, you taking four or five other joints out, it's not going to work. Somebody going to get jealous of somebody because somebody going to be missing. You got to treat them all equally and fair. You feel me? You got one main joint. And depending on your status and your style, she might not even let that fly having an old relationship because another girl can take what she worked for away. You know what I mean? If you taking her to islands, you flying out, you buying a Gucci Chanel, you paying her rent, her mortgage, her bills or whatever, you dropping off heavy bags, your status up, she ain't going to let you bop no other Jones. You know what I mean? And if she do, the other Jones is going to be heavy like her. So they go, you, she already knows she is Chanel Jones, so she knows she can lose you to another bad Jones. You know what I mean? That's only for niggas that's up. <laughs> First of all, um, I don't know that many people that are paying mortgages for their women. So you're already talking about men on a whole other level than I even than I, than I even thought of. But yeah, if you want to think about an open relationship in terms of like multiple relationships, like full on relationships with multiple people, and if you think of relationships as men supporting women, then yeah, that shit could get expensive. So you probably should not do it. Open relationships probably aren't for you. Um, and if you are a woman who basically pays her rent and eats off of a man, then you should be worried. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But like, like, 
like all things, I mean, an open relationship needs to be discussed openly. Both sides need to agree on it and they both need to get benefit from it. If they don't, then obviously it's not going to it's not going to work. It's going to fall apart. So I guess if you're going to be an open relationship, it, it assumes certain things like it assumes that you're not going to be destitute if you break up with your partner. Um, and I think that if you were smart, whether you are in an open relationship or not, you should still set yourself up so that if you break up, you're not going to be destitute. Yo, what's up, insatiable Lori? Mo Mac with a double hero. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just thinking if it's a first time sort of thing, like not a long ass relationship or something, maybe the guy, oh, motherfucker, spot right in front of my house. I parked so far away. Shit. Ah, oh, fuck it. I ain't moving the car. Anyway, uh, um, I digress. Back to motherfucker though the spot do you hate when that happens anyway you probably don't you probably don't have to find parking where you're at even though you're in new york city but maybe you're smart and you don't drive um i'm thinking the guy if it's a first date sort of thing maybe he was working all day he got sweaty like real sweaty and he worried about that funky junk nobody wants to leave a girl thinking oh man he got funky junk so maybe that's why he ain't trying to hit he you know he gotta hit the shower before hitting the sheets so yesterday, as we were talking about consent issues, uh, sort of indirectly, because we were actually talking about waiting for sex and it evolved into a conversation about consent, we started talking about how peer education can play a role in maybe making things a little better in terms of like men understanding women and treating women better. Ultimately, I think a lot of people who called in, including myself, agreed with that sentiment. But then something else was also mentioned in that conversation about treating women like they're precious and like they're blessings. And um, to be a little tongue in cheek about it, I did say something about, well, you know, maybe thinking about women, even in a good sense, as being a blessing to a man or being precious to a man is a form of objectification and maybe we need to just think about people differently and think about people as individuals instead and not being um, you know and and not thinking about people as existing for the purpose of pleasing or entertaining us i've got a couple or a few colons now to follow up with that hey laurie how's it going michael paul jess here from where the anchor holds I've enjoyed listening to your station today. You've got a, a lot of good topics per the usual. Um, today's topics, uh, I think it boils down to education. You know, it boils down to education and good, decent, like moral, morally sound role models. Um, so this is kind of a, a call to action for uh, men everywhere. We just need to to help educate and uh, just groom other men around us, whether they be our age or younger. And we just need to show them love and show them uh, the right way to uh, engage and interact with women. Uh, women are a blessing from God, and they are precious. And uh, you know what, men? It's time to step up. We gotta, we gotta uh, educate. Other dudes. This is the colon that originates the conversation that I'm going to play other colons for following this segment. But I wanted to say first that I do think that this came from a very good place with really good intentions. And um, I played it originally and agreed with most of what he said. But I did respond in a segment that I think got people a little uh, riled up.
because I said, well, maybe women are not here for you. Maybe we need to change the way we think about women. Not that it's bad to treat women as valuable people, but more that when you think about someone as being a blessing or being precious, it really isn't looking at the person as a person who is a free thinking person who's here for themselves. It's thinking of them as a person who's here to benefit your life. And so that is a form of objectification, which I think indirectly leads to this whole culture of looking at women as objects of desire rather than as individuals. So here's what some people had to say about that. Hey, what's going on? This is James with Push Radio. Just wanted to call in on a couple things I heard you talking about. I think I'm kind of late, but I'll still throw it out there. You can choose to do with it which, what you want. I do like the uh, the idea of being able to for guys to educate one another. Um, I think the problem, or not problem, but a lot of things that you run into are um, not a lot of guys are educated themselves to be able to educate others. Uh, example, most people I have grown up with have not seen what proper manhood is, so they're kind of learning as they go. But I know that's, that can go on and on that subject. And then on your topic of treating women as precious cargo, I've never heard a woman not want to be treated special. Um, I don't think that's dehumanizing at all. I think it's knowing your worth or your value. But either way, keep pushing. Hey, what's going on? This is James with Push Radio. Just wanted to call in on a couple things I heard you talking about. I think I'm kind of late, but I'll still throw it out there. You can choose to do with it which, what you want. I do like the uh, the idea of being able to for guys to educate one another. Um, I think the problem, or not problem, but a lot of things that you run into are um, not a lot of guys are educated themselves to be able to educate others. Uh, example, most people I have grown up with have not seen what proper manhood is, so they're kind of learning as they go. But I know that's, that can go on and on that subject. And then on your topic of treating women as precious cargo, I've never heard a woman not want to be treated special. Um, I don't think that's dehumanizing at all. I think it's knowing your worth or your value. But either way, keep pushing. Yo, what's up, Insatiable? You know, I was all good with that. Men gotta be helping other men understand you know how to treat women what's right what's the proper behavior without being douchebags and then you gotta go fuck it up with women are blessings from god like okay what the fuck does that even mean that means what they're just gifts to guys to play around with to fuck around with this god just gave us these women to like how do you go fuck up you know, that's almost as bad as those fucking Me Too guys who are totally hip hypocritical, right? It's almost as bad as the Me Too campaign dudes who are like, Yeah, man, women's rights totally cool, but I'm gonna take advantage of these bitches if I get them in my movie and not pay them anything worth and have them get naked for the camera for some bullshit. It ain't art. It's bullshit, man. So to echo what Momak was saying, I was not saying that women shouldn't be treated well or that they should be mistreated or that they should be treated as anything less than precious. But what I'm asking is, shouldn't we maybe stop thinking about women as things? Shouldn't we stop thinking about women as being here for our enjoyment or your enjoyment? Shouldn't 
we just think about women as being people who deserve to be respected, just like any other person deserves to be respected. I mean, once you start thinking about a person as a person, then you start thinking, well, this person has rights. And maybe if this person doesn't want to have sex right now, I shouldn't pressure them into it. Maybe if this person is just a person who's really good at her job, I shouldn't look at her as a piece of meat. Maybe, you know, I can start opening my mind to all kinds of things that women are capable of if I stop thinking about them as a trophy to be placed on a shelf and protected, if that makes any sense. So, I mean, it's semantics here. I was also being a little facetious. I know that um, he didn't mean that we should objectify women. I don't think that was his intention, but I do think that objectification in its worst forms has roots in objectification in more acceptable forms. And those acceptable forms are saying are come from back in the day, centuries ago, when women were married off to other families, um, basically used as a form of currency. Um, they were traded for money. Women um, were then, once they married into those families, were seen as property of those families. And up until several decades ago, were seen as property of their husbands. They were not permitted to vote. Um, women still, you know what I mean? There, there, there are so many things um, that come with thinking of women as something precious that men need to protect that I think maybe we should just rethink the entire structure of how we characterize that. And maybe we should just look at it from a different perspective. That's all I'm saying. And uh, Safa did call in about this yesterday too. He wanted to throw out there that technically women are here for men and men are here for women because we're just all here to procreate. Um, I mean, that's a fair point about biology, but I didn't think it had any bearing on this conversation when it came to consent and respecting people. However, if you do um, think that that is an interesting argument, he does elaborate on it quite a bit on his channel today, so or his station today, rather. So you guys can um, head over there if that is something that you're interested in listening to. Laura, your segment on women are not here for you, I'd like to offer you a new perspective, something more basic. And the fact to say is that... Men are here for women, women are here for men, purposes of reproduction. Why? Because we want to ensure the survival of the human race. Now, a man will say whatever he and do whatever he needs to do in order to sleep with a woman. Why? Because he wants to pass on his genetics to the next generation. And a woman will be selective as to what man she sleeps with because she obviously wants certain qualities to be passed on to her children to ensure the next generation. So, if we understand that as a basic human um, need, then why do we need PC culture to tell us what to say, what to think, and what to do? Because genetics will take care of itself. Everything that happens in between biology and, and, and ensuring the next generation is almost irrelevant as long as it happens from a biological point of view. So all this PC culture stuff actually means nothing. I feel like I'm adding too much to the station or talking too much, but I just feel I need to. Anyway, I wanted to disagree with Sabrid as far as genetics and the PC culture sort of getting in the way of what genetics is ultimately wanting to do. I think from an evolutionary standpoint, if genetics was doing everything it needed to do, we wouldn't need to develop the farming culture or domesticating animals or creating any type of technology. We would just stick to just doing what animals do and just procreating all day long. But because man has evolved in some way, shape, or form, maybe not so much within the past millennia, but the fact is they've actually changed their entire brain chemistry to do something more. 
So doesn't that seem like it can't be simplified just to the basic wants and needs of just fulfilling procreation derivatives? Thanks. What E said, but also nobody is telling anybody what to do. Um, so I don't know where PC culture came into play. I mentioned this yesterday, but do what you want. Everybody should just do what they want until it violates another person. And at that point, when you got to face the consequences and you come crying to the rest of us asking how it could have happened because you didn't see it coming. This is the reason why we're having this conversation today. You don't need to participate. You don't need to believe it. You don't need to rethink what you do, how you think, your actions, the things that you say. You just go along your merry way and just deal with the consequences as they come. But here we just like open discussion because I think when we talk about things out in the open and we disagree with each other, it's cool and it's good to explore ways that we can just be better. I am not a person who ever thinks we have reached perfection, so I always think there's room to improve. Um, and so a non-starter argument for me is, well, why should we have to do anything because things are fine the way they are? I simply do not agree that things are fine the way they are. Like I said, I think we can always be better. And so um, I welcome, again, all you guys' opinions, including those that I don't agree with. And I'm happy to, you know, respond to them. Um, but mostly I'm always just going to ask why, how, why can't we be better? And that's, that's really the point. Next up is a call from KMC elaborating a little bit on what he said about being the one who is the slow mover as in not the one who necessarily initiates sex. This subject came up so even though we've been talking all about consent and everything in the latter part of the conversation it actually all started with me asking what it is um, about people that makes them not express sexual attraction immediately or in the early process of dating and what how long people are willing to wait to find out if a person is sexually attracted to them. Just want to elaborate a little bit on the question of the day from my last call in. I really think that the process was sped up a bit because it wasn't when I was dating, texting was just starting. So most of my conversations while I was dating were taking place over the phone. So, and it was Usually the conversations were at night, late at night. So um, eventually sexual discussions would, would take place. So I think I had an idea of where the, their head was at um, regarding sex because we talk about it beforehand. So if, if they were standoff, standoffish towards sex in the conversation, then the process would take longer. Okay, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, okay, KMC, He all he did was have phone sex with women while he was dating them. No, that's not true. Okay, yes, but it did take place, but not all the time. And, and I wasn't trying to do that. It's just usually it would just naturally come up in the conversation. I wasn't trying to force myself on anybody. But it was fun, and, and you get to know people from that sexual level beforehand when you actually talk to them. So I think it's always, as we were talking, as you were talking on your segments, communication is key. If you know in advance what's happening, it's all good. And I'm not sure if texting, 
uh, is helpful because sexual texting, sexting is kind of creepy in my opinion. Now, sexting is, for me, it's creepy when you first know them, first get to know somebody and you first get their number and then um, five lines in, you're already sexting. Um, to me, that's creepy. But if you know the person for several weeks, several months, then sexting, if you want to go to do, if you want to do sexting, go right ahead. That, that's not creepy. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, I see what's going on here. So you got that verbal game. So it's not that you didn't make the first move or express your sexual interest. It's that you expressed it on the phone. Um, now it becomes clear. And yeah, I, I do. I did hear you. You did say that it came up naturally. So maybe you weren't even in the person who initiated it at the very beginning. But you did, you know, give out, put out the vibe and you got it back. And so that's where it started. I don't necessarily think that sex sexual attraction needs to be expressed only in person or initiated only in person so you know see it happened somehow and uh if i was dating someone or seeing someone and you know they express very early on through a phone conversation that they are attracted to me that's good enough for me that means that we're headed in the right direction um and i think that that's probably different than those people who just sort of like call you out all the time and seem to be courting you, seem to be taking you out, seem to be taking an interest in your life because they are romantically interested in you and yet do not make any indication whatsoever that they want something physical. It sounds to me like maybe some of these youngins out here need to learn a little bit about that phone conversation because, you know, people don't even call each other anymore. As for texting, I was almost going to disagree with you, but when you clarified, I understood what you meant. I mean, sexting is cool when it's welcome. But you're right that there's people who just will come out the gate with the dick pics and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, or like messages like to Jasmine, which I think might have might have been the catalyst to this entire conversation. But just guys leaving like thirsty, um, unsolicited messages. Um, yeah, that's not it's not suave. It's not good game. It's just bad form in general and it's not going to get you the success rate you're looking for so anyway thank you as always for your contributions next up are some colons from the heaviest green which i love because it explains i think much more eloquently what i was trying to say about the philosophy of what many people um approach open relationships with Lori, what's going on this is brown buddha with the heaviest green Got my computer doing some of the work for me in the background, so I figured I'd listen and thought I'd chime in on what you guys are talking about. Here's what I've realized in my short time on this planet. Most people, men and women alike, are about as faithful as their options. The question really is who's honest about this, you know? Um, polyamory is, is about making personal integrity and communication your priority, not necessarily a particular relationship and not necessarily sexual access to multiple people. You know, the concept of me letting you fuck someone or you letting me fuck someone um, implies ownership, which is more or less a safeguard against my ego, you know, my ego dying or your vanity being punctured. You know, most people are just afraid of discovering they're as inferior as they think they are when a lot of times it is just couldn't be anything further from the case. The interesting thing is a lot of people uh, prop up monogamy as an alternative to polyamory or, or closed relationships as opposed to open relationships. Um, 
because they feel it will either prevent them from experiencing jealousy or in the case the brother mentioned before, you know, kind of preserve some of the jealousy is seen as, you know, kind of necessary. But once we doing shit like that, um, you know, I feel like a, a, a mind game. I don't want to play any fucking mind games with you, grown ass man. You know what I mean? What I'm learning is few people admit to being jealous. They just react to it. You know, there's freedom in admitting that you're jealous. There's freedom in observing why you're jealous and the freedom of my partner and, and my freedom uh, respectfully becomes a priority for both of us versus conforming to an idea that just makes us feel better before we go to bed at night i hope that makes sense brown buddha from the heaviest grain hey yeah and, and uh, a third thing i think a lot of women uh take issue with this or find difficulty in these situations because one is rare you come across a dude that's gonna say you are free i know you are free you can do whatever the fuck you want to do and really stand by that and not give you no bullshit about it but if you're doing that and you also fucking somebody well you know whether you want to call sex physical or mental but you're getting fucked right when that's happening uh not only is she less inclined to want to share that man but she really don't want to fuck nobody else but this nigga you know so at that point she start feeling like shit is unfair and it's like well i only want to fuck you so you should only want to fuck me but that's if we can be honest, rational adults, just because you only want to fuck me does not mean I only want to fuck you. And if we can be honest about how we feel about that, you know, you might be surprised what you can do. I think that all of this sounds very appealing. Like who wouldn't want to be in a partnership where you could be totally open without fear of hurting the other person's feelings or just be willing to hurt the other person's feelings in the name of honesty? Because you know, why should you suppress who you really are? That said, we don't live in a utopian society where people can just think only logically without emotion or where people are unaffected by their upbringing and all the baggage that came with our sex education in terms of sex having to be this um, like all powerful, like soul swapping, whatever the terminology is that they're, the churches are using these days type of situation. Um, and because we can't detach ourselves from it emotionally, we, you know, there, we have to face reality that even if, you know, even if one person is, um, polyamorous and wants to be with someone who doesn't understand that lifestyle, it's very difficult to get them to come around. A person can be trained to resist jealous urges because jealousy is, I mean, most jealousy, I mean, is is a is kind of a biological response. Like you could just wait it out, to be honest. Like I mentioned in a previous segment, um, if you just wait 20, 30 minutes, jealousy passes. It's very irrational. Some jealousy is rational as in it's based on shady behavior, but some jealousy is really just you looking at your quote your man with another woman and having like a like a, a physiological like meltdown because you're afraid to lose something that you love. And then 20, 30 minutes later, you might realize, oh, it's just it's just a coworker or somebody that was standing in the background is not a thing. And there's no reason for you to be worried or to feel insecure. And the jealousy passes. Um, the idea, though, that you have to let, you know, basically enter a partnership where you might be faithful, as in you may not ever want to look at another person. But your partner doesn't feel the same way because they they might love you very much and might love you more than anything in the world. But, you know, they things might pique their interest and they don't want to necessarily deny themselves the curiosity of seeing where that goes. That's that's that 
is I can completely understand why a person would never be able to adjust to that. And, and I think that I am one of those people who, despite intellectually understanding the merits of an open relationship, I don't think I could handle it emotionally. And so that's why, you know, as we were, we were all, we've all been saying, it's very important for people to just really be real with themselves. Maybe push yourself a little bit to open your mind beyond your hard wiring, right? And like try to think from another perspective. But if after you've thought from that perspective, you still come to, come to the conclusion that, you know what, this isn't going to work, um, you have to be, you know, be willing to say that, I think, without judging others who might feel differently. Um, and then the problem will be then when you do say that, whether you can trust your partner to then be honest with you and say, well, I don't feel that way and I'm willing to walk away from this because I don't want to hurt you. So it takes really strong people on both sides. So next up, we have where the anchor holds, calling back in to clarify what he was saying earlier that launched into a whole discussion with everyone else which I appreciate. Thank you for calling in to clarify that. And interestingly, he brings up creationism and the Bible. And that's just funny to me because somehow a segment about dating culture has like snowballed into discussions about evolution and now creationism. And uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that, but here you go. Hey, Lori, Michael Paul, Jess here from Where the Anchor Holds. I appreciate you saying that you didn't believe I was meaning to objectify women because I really wasn't meaning that at all. I'd like to take this opportunity, however, to explain my position a little further regarding my previous call-in. I'm suggesting that I believe women are a gift from God for their spouse, not for everybody, certainly not to be objectified, but to be cherished. I'll call in again right now because of the time purposes with a little bit about what scripture says regarding this topic. Now I understand not everybody agrees with the Bible, but this is my personal standpoint. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he could call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Thanks for understanding that I didn't bring that up to like start a fight or anything or to try to attribute, you know, intentions that you didn't mean. I don't think you had bad intentions at all. But I do think that even this creationist story that we are, we're all very familiar with, um, that, you know, Eve was created from like the rib of Adam and basically was a gift to man and, and whatnot, um, that whatever you believe, um, the way that that story is framed still makes it like you say like a woman is a gift to her spouse not to all men but her spouse um obviously i you can tell from the tone of my voice i'm not a very religious person i used to go to church um 
I have my issues with the institution of Christianity. Um, I'm not an atheist, but I do take issue with the preaching of this concept that women are made for men. I I get that that's what Genesis says, but also let's be real. Genesis is an English. It's you're you were reading from a current modern day English interpretation of a very old story that has probably been passed down by word of mouth for a very long time and has changed and been simplified and altered for dramatic effect or whatever the case may be. Who knows what actually happened and whether those seven days were actually seven days? But that is besides the point because we're not talking about religion today. Um, my point is that when you are, when you are trying to respect a person as a free thinking individual and as a person with a right in society to live their lives however it is that they want then you can't really think about that person as being on this earth to serve another person and not and yes i get that you're saying that men should cherish the women that were given to them as gifts and not treat objectify them or treat them like things but when you cherish something you are treating it like a thing you're just treating it like a very valuable thing um you know you i mean i would argue that you can even cherish a pet okay because you can buy a pet you can buy it to your specifications you take care of it you cultivate it you raise it so that it's exactly what you the the pet that you hope for it to be and you cherish it until the day it dies. And that pet is completely dependent on you. A woman is not that. A woman is an individual with a different set of genitalia, a different biology, different um, capabilities in terms of child rearing and everything else. But she's a, she's a human being. She's one of your species. She's probably as capable as you, if not more so, in doing your job and earning money and playing sports and everything else. And not to turn this into like a whole gender equality thing, but... There's no reason why, at least I don't think so, there's no reason why to think of women in any context that's different from men outside of actual sex and reproduction. So knowing that, I don't think it's, I don't think it's nice to characterize a woman as being a gift to her spouse. A woman is a woman. She's the female version of a man. And that's not me saying anything against God or me saying anything against anything except that I think people deserve to be respected. And I think I would rather, I would, I would love to be loved by my future husband if I get married. I would love to be loved by anyone. But what I want from everyone else is respect.